Welcome back into the Celtics Lab. I am your host for today, Cameron Tempsby, alongside, as always, Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. In this week's episode, the Celtics have won three straight in seven of their last ten. Jason Tatum is the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And in the lab portion of the programming, we'll take a look at the crowded Eastern Conference middle class and the current playoff picture. To do all of that, we welcome in Jimmy Toscano of CLNS Media. Jimmy, how are you? What's up, fellas? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course, our pleasure. Dr. Quinn, Alex, how are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm absolutely burying a mountain mountain of grading, which is largely of my own making. But, you know, aside (laughs) from that, doing all right. In my hubris of avoiding the construction noises, they have returned. I have been haunted once again for your regular listeners. For the new listeners, um, I have to heavily use the mute button lately because of some remodeling in the house next door. How exciting. Oh, wow. little uh, neighbor, neighbor dispute, it sounds like. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, you you should now. see the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we begin... We do want to pause and just acknowledge the situation that's happening in Minneapolis and share our sympathies with the people on the Brooklyn Center community and the entire Wright family. Um, Unfortunately, a few times on the Celtics Lab, we've had to pause and talk about things way bigger than basketball. And it doesn't seem like the American experiment is ready to let up. So we sincerely send our thoughts to everyone involved there and closer to home in a much less important microcosm as we begin to recap the week that was in the NBA, we also extend our love to Jamal Murray uh, because that was just probably not as important as what's going on in Minneapolis, but uh, for basketball fans, a pretty scary sight. And on that happy note, uh, we do as Celtics fans have a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack. So let's unpack the week that was, and let's start with Jason Tatum, who again is the player of the week in the Eastern conference since the all-star break. He's been averaging 27 points a game on 49% from the field, 40% from three, and 7.1 rebounds. Uh, That's still on just 4.2 free throw attempts per game and 3-point assists uh, per game. So there's there's room to improve. But, Jimmy, what have you seen out of Jason Tatum? What are you thinking? I'm thinking, wow, first of all. um, (laughs) This is the Jason Tatum that we all have been saying – well, where'd this guy go? You know, the guy that we want him to attack the rim more. It's not just mm-hmm. the points. It's how he's getting them. Going to the free throw, you know, getting to the free throw line, attacking the rim. Obviously, he's hitting his outside shots too, which, you know, makes him, you know, go from good to amazing when those shots are falling. But for me, it's just been the way in which he sort of kicked it up a gear. And I don't know if it has to do with, you know, some of the national media sort of coming at him a bit or mm-hmm. what the reason is, but I'm definitely – Maybe it's COVID. I mean, this guy did go through serious COVID issues. So maybe he's just starting to get his wind to where he was prior. And he's feeling, you know, better about that. And, and now we're seeing a more balanced attack from him on offense. Yeah. I mean, it, he, I forget who tweeted it out. I wish I could cite sources. They said Tatum's the most skilled Celtic of all time. And I wasn't ready to wow. refute that. I mean, he's really... He's really throwing the kitchen sink, at least on offense, and it's been fantastic. Alex, uh, what do you think? I think that was Alex Kungu who yep, tweeted yep. that out. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're kind of overlooking the obvious, which is that Kendrick Perkins is directly responsible for Jason Tatum being better. <laughs> um, Thank you for that, Perk. <laughs> no, just kidding. Although I do think I do actually, I have to give a shout out to Perk because I listened to the first episode of the From the Rafters official Celtics podcast, and Perk was pretty good on it, so... Um, but that being said, 
No, I think, uh, Jimmy, you kind of hit on it. I, I, I don't think that Jason Tatum cares tremendously about what the national media thinks about his game or the local media for that matter. I do think that Jason Tatum's lungs are probably working a lot better than they were mm-hmm. earlier in the season uh, in his kind of reco- ongoing recovery from coronavirus. Um, it seems like he has really kind of found his rhythm. Uh, and just watching the games uh, these past few games, what's kind of stood out to me is that physically, and you hinted at this as well, he's looking much more aggressive uh, attacking the basket. And I think a lot of that has to do with increasing stamina and just the ability to really go out there and play a full 48 minutes uh, to the highest level that he can. So it's nice to see him getting his win back and leaving me very optimistic for what he's capable of doing for the rest of the season. CLNS alumni and Celtics Wire alumni, Jared Weiss had a pretty good piece on The Athletic today about Tatum not having the same crutches to lean on with Daniel Tice being traded away and things kind of being shooken up. I don't know if that's all of it, but it's definitely part of it. Um, Marcus Smart also kind of stepping up into a bigger role as a ball distributor has really helped the team in general a lot, I think, as well. Yeah, we'll get to uh, Tatum and Smart have really eye-popping accolades that they just earned over the past few weeks but jimmy we just saw the celtics win three games in a row which is something to celebrate in this cursed horrible season yeah um, pretty big ones uh, i'll say that this part a little more quiet against the knicks the timberwolves and uh, a seemingly very gassed nuggets team but take the good with the bad i suppose what are your thoughts on the three game win streak but the caveat is always that we record right before another big game uh, they play the blazers tonight Sure. I mean, you, you kind of nailed it. I mean, you, you've been kind of searching and reaching for positives this season. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> when this team, when this team is, is it, it goes from bad to worse quickly with this team. I don't know if it's mental makeup. Um, clearly the injury bug has not been on their side. The COVID bug has not been on them side and they just haven't been much of a cohesive unit this year. And still they're not without Fournier, but for them to be able to string together some wins and ride a little bit of positive momentum. The biggest thing I've noticed with this team is how like negatively emotional they get or like non-emotional. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't even, I can't even pinpoint that prior to like last week or so that many like moments where I felt like this was a group that's really, really together out there on the court. And, and a lot of that has to do with the up and down season. I mean, they're, they were, they're, you know, 500 team prior to a couple of games ago. And they played like it. You know, there wasn't any momentum. Um, they could never string together, you know, aside from the beginning of the season, they weren't really stringing together wins where it felt like they were building. And it feels like now, and, you know, of course, they're riding a little winning streak, so everything sound, seems better. But I do seem to feel like these guys are actually having a little bit of, dare I say, fun out there. Um, <laughs> I feel like this season has been all work and, and no play. And I think Big recently time. we've seen a little bit different uh, vibe, I guess, from the team. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I, we're going to talk about uh, Tristan Thompson in a little bit, but there's videos of him dancing on airplanes and him videos of him playing really good basketball. It does seem like the vibes of... Four weeks of, with Chloe will do that to you. Uh, yeah, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, the Celtics are seven, or, uh, seven and three in their last ten. Uh, you have been riding an emotional roller coaster alongside the seas, so I imagine that you're riding high? Well, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I got to say, I think 
The Jason Tatum 53-point game was really special as an individual accomplishment. I also want to make sure to put that in context of needing an overtime performance to be the actual worst team in the league in the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but the three wins have been encouraging. And to your point that you just made, Jimmy, it does seem like on the floor they are having more fun out there. And I think a lot of that has to do with health more than anything. The Celtics have had so many roster issues, uh, just people missing games for coronavirus, injury, what have you. And when they haven't uh, had been missing games, they have been uh, kind of inconsistent performances. Uh, and I think in large part as a result of some of this injury malaise, I, you know, Kemba Walker has really struggled to string together consistent games in particular because he's just sitting every mm-hmm. back-to-back uh, Marcus Smart has had moments where he's looked really lost on the defensive end in a very uncharacteristic way, which suggests to me that at times his leg hasn't been fully healed. But um, having Tristan Thompson come off the bench uh, and come back from uh, you know a very long coronavirus absence, the same with Romeo Langford, just having more guys out there that these dudes trust I think has gone a long way towards resetting uh, some of the feelings around this roster. In particular, I think the Langford return, the fact that he was able to come back and immediately make a substantial impact just with defense and effort uh, really energized a lot of these guys. And so while obviously we should put in context that, you know, all of these wins were not perfect, the Knicks game was really, really close Timberwolves, obviously not a particularly great team. And Denver was missing their second best player in Jamal Murray. Um, While all of these wins have imperfections that you can pick apart, and ultimately a lot of the Celtics issues were still present in these wins, I do think that there is something to this idea that with Langford and Thompson coming back, with the knowledge that eventually Evan Fournier should be coming back as well. This team finally seems like they're getting healthy, and I think the energy is changing as a result. Yeah, Jimmy, I want to I get your thoughts on all of that, but Dr. Quinn, you do quite a bit of Celtics history for Celtics Wire, uh, so I want to specifically your, get, get your thoughts on two things. First, as Alex mentioned, Tatum dropped 53, which is a number that a Celtic has not uh, put up since 1989, and... Isaiah Thomas came close with 52. So, you know, shout out to IT. And then Marcus Smart passed Larry Bird on the three-pointer list for the franchise, which, you know, it was a different era, but that's still pretty meaningful. So as a resident Celtics historian, what do you think when you see these kind of milestones? Well, I think you really already said everything there is to say about Marcus Smart. Um, we we know he's not even close to Larry Bird's territory as a shooter, uh, but he's willing to wow. shoot as much as he is. So <laughs> he thinks he is. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah. I don't think he does. Don't tell Marcus. Don't tell Marcus Smart that. He'll come for you. <laughs> I mean, I hear it's good for uh, ratings. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Like, it's good. It's good to see that you know he's been with us long enough to do that. Um, it's not often enough that people are on a team anymore to be able to break records like that as easily. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. And as far as Tatum goes, I mean, that was, that was truly a, it doesn't matter who it was against. I mean, it's, it's very hard to score that many points on 
anyone. I mean, there's very like Joel Embiid, for example, does not have that many points on his, you know, career high score. Mm-hmm. There's there's very few people who have hit that. And for the Celtics in, in particular, there's only two. I mean, now his name is forever connected to Kevin McHale and Larry Bird. And it's indisputable. It doesn't no one cares? Can you tell me who the the sixty point game of Larry Bird was against? I bet you can't. Oh, that's uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> good, good as any. Yeah, I, I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> okay, so so long as no one yeah. can. We'll yeah. Report back next week. So, Jimmy, we talked about this last week. We're kind of loving this bench rotation, and Alex mentioned Langford, and let's give him a long leash coming back from COVID. Same with Tristan, but. Uh, the early returns are pretty good. How do you feel about the bench play? How do you feel about what the rotation might look like? And we haven't even really seen Fournier insert himself into that rhythm. So what do you think when you play the long game about the Celtics bench group? Yeah, that's, that's obviously is the key. Fournier is kind of like the bridge, it feels like, between the starters and the, and the bench, or at least he will be. Romeo, I'm just, glad, I'm just glad to see that he's alive. I actually had a feeling, I, I, without seeing that guy, since the bubble of last year, I thought this was like Danny Ainge just like trying to figure out a way to trade Romeo and he didn't exist anymore, but he does exist and he's actually contributing. I mean, I know that it's been hit or miss um, there, you know, there's a couple of games there where he didn't do anything, but um, it sounds like it seems like they're really trying to work him into the rotation. And he's exactly the type of a player that, that fills a void for them, that backup wing that can come in and give you good quality minutes off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, They've had an up-and-down bench this year, needless to say. I mean, Grant Williams has been kind of a miss, I think, for the majority of this year. Um, they've had injuries. They've had guys coming in and out, like Teague was obviously a miss. Um, they haven't had great depth there. Depth there. Um, Shemi has been hot and cold, but he is what he is. You know, you're, you, know what you're gonna, you know what to expect almost with Shemi. So to get Fournier is, was huge, and, and without having to give up any, um, you know, any talent, any, any players in return, that's, you know, assuming that he can come back and, and you know, make a full recovery here, um, that's somebody that you could even argue could be in the starting lineup and, you know, move the current starter to the bench. I've loved the way Tristan has looked since he came back. He looks yeah, like a completely different, completely different player. Completely, I don't know, he's playing with, you know, this extra energy and, and drive, or maybe he felt like, you know, his name was kind of dragged through the mud there, and maybe now he's saying, you know what, screw you guys, like, you know, I'm, I'm not anything that I'm being portrayed to be, and I'm going to show you that right now. I didn't love how he said the regular season didn't matter, and it didn't really make sense because he's playing like it does matter now, so it doesn't really match up to what he said. So all that to say, the, the, bench, is, the bench is a lot more solid than it has been, um, but health is obviously the, the big key here. You know, that consistency of getting that eight, nine-man rotation heading into the playoffs because that's really what you're going to be looking at if, if you, you know, you're looking at eight, nine, strong in the in that playoff there yeah I'm, i mean my big takeaway if they, uh, this is a few weeks ago when Embiid just ate the celtics alive oh. and now thompson and he could have played like garbage but those are six fouls that you could use so just having that body is, is i don't know why thompson didn't play that game he played the next game he played the very next night and he and he played damn well it was like did he just not want to get worked by, by Embiid? and he was like you know what guys i'm gonna take one more day off here <laughs> but you're right i mean there was a huge that was a huge, and it's Embiid, so you got to expect it to an extent. But that's that's going to be a serious problem in the playoffs, I think, if you don't have all hands on deck. 
Yeah, and just to touch on Tristan Thompson for a second, um, one thing that I've noticed is that um, Brad Stevens has actually, while he's been bringing Thompson off the bench to start, which I think is the right call, you want to start the game with Robert Williams' energy uh, on the defensive end in particular, he has been closing games with Tristan Thompson, which I think is an interesting move. And I think it's it's not crazy, especially given how some of these matchups have been going. Tristan really seems like he has been a stabilizing force uh, for this team, in particular in moments when they seem like uh, the wheels are going to kind of come off, which has been a thing that has happened a lot this year for the Celtics, where they've gone through stretches where suddenly, you know, a five-point lead balloons into a 13-point lead and Mm -hmm. nobody knows how. But uh, Tristan has done a really nice job of just like, making important energy plays to kind of stop the bleeding in those situations. And as a result, I think he has earned Brad's trust as the guy who should be closing games at the five for the Celtics, which I think is going to be a really important thing for him going into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Rob Williams continues to be something of an enigma. He played great against Jokic and then suddenly he didn't. He, He looks like he's a world beater and then he looks like he's, completely winded. I mean, it's just, it's really nice for the Celtics to have a player like Tristan because as much fun as Rob Williams is, uh, perhaps he still has a little bit of baking to do in the oven. Uh, Before we round out the week that was and start to look at the middle class, there's a few other reasonably important to completely unimportant headlines to touch on. Uh, Ange hinted that the Celtics might get vaccinated soon. Here on the Celtics Lab podcast, we are big supporters of getting vaccinated for COVID-19. So go ahead and do that if and when you can. And hopefully the Celtics, the team that has been riddled with COVID woes the most, is able to see that happen. <laughs> we have that'd be notes. great. Yeah, I don't know if anyone needs it on the team anymore, but that'd be great if they can get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, shout out to Marcus Smart for donating his plasma. Now everyone on the Celtics apparently can do that. Uh, <laughs> We have in our notes that Vinny Sexo Pantalones went to Real Madrid. That's Vincent Poirier to the, yeah. the lay or the French person. Uh, so best of luck to Vinny. And shout Doesn't out that to- make perfect sense? Sounds like that's exactly where he belongs. Is like in Spain, just like living it up, like just being Vinny. Yeah. I mean, between him, it's funny be covering the Celtics or being a Celtics fan because then you follow um, – all sorts of players on Instagram that you don't yeah. need to follow. Like Jordan <laughs> Mickey. I've been following his Instagram for a long time now. I hope he's doing yeah. well. What's he up to? Yeah, right. Not I think much. it's going to be good for him, though, because a lot of people end up trying, like, especially bigs from Europe, they come over. Daniel Tice was one. He came over sure. and he was he was here for like, the Washington Wizards Summer League and he just wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really that kind of an opportunity for him, for, for Vinny, to get that kind of run with the Celtics. I mean, he had a little bit of a chance, but he never really got a chance. To no, he didn't. Game. And so now he's going to be able to go back. He's going to be with a bigger club. He's going to get more attention. He's going to get more playing time. And I think he will be able to get at least one more crack at the league. There's going to be an, an August episode of this podcast where I make Justin and Alex, Jimmy, you can come, uh, break sure. down the best European centers that Denny Ainge has brought over. Most of us, I can talk about Nanad Kristich again. Uh, it's been me. You can make a whole army of tall, battle-ready uh, European yeah. guys who come over for cheap. I was utterly convinced in like the 
14 NBA season that Vitor Faberani would be a quality starting center in the league. <laughs> Vitor, he had that stretch there where it did feel yeah. like he was going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, between all the Rest fun European peace. guys and Tyler Zeller and Brandon Bass, the Celtics front court for Brandon the past Bass. decade has just been a, a whirlwind. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, shout out to our friends over at View from the Rafters, the new uh, Celtics podcast. Other than when you're listening to this fine, wonderful podcast, you can go ahead and listen to that fine, wonderful podcast. Abby Chin, come on Celtics Lab Podcast Challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, Jimmy was our backup. <laughs> uh, so, um, Jimmy, our Paul, understudy for the day. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to jump into the Celtics lab. This is the portion of the programming where we get our hands a little dirty, uh, where we put away Nanad Kristich and we actually talk basketball for real. And this week uh, we want to talk about kind of the Celtics peers in the Eastern Conference. Right now it looks like there's three teams that are set in stone at the top of the East in Brooklyn, Philly, mm-hmm. and Milwaukee. They're not going anywhere. But beyond that, the teams four through eight and really four through ten – or four through 12, if you want to talk about the the pesky Washington Wizards, there's an interesting middle class, and it's really hard to know how things are going to look when the dust settles. Right at the time of this recording, the Celtics are in seventh in the East, but just one game back from the four seed and the ability to host a playoff series. And as a reminder, uh, teams through seven through 10 go to the play-in tournament. Uh, Boston doesn't appear to be a risk of missing the playoffs. 538 gives them just a 3% chance of missing the playoffs, and interestingly, a 2% chance of winning the finals. So do with that what you will. <laughs> so really, the Celtics could conceivably land just about anywhere below <laughs> the three seed, it seems like. So what we want to do here is we want to break down these teams, four through eight, maybe uh, nine and ten if we have time, talk about what these teams are good at, talk about what they're bad at, talk about the remainder of their schedule, and just get a lay of the land for this Eastern conference middle class that we're calling so uh, jim you'll get first crack at any of these but justin Alex any of these have... teams i get to pick well we were going to go in order but if you have a team that oh you're no ready let's to rock, go no let's, let's go in order whatever whatever order yeah so i guess we'll be you mean order of the middle class or, uh, or at the top well dr quinn let me ask you is this this is the standings uh as they are now yeah yep in, in order it of changes standing. literally by the Every hour, night. so yeah <laughs> So, uh, no, you lead us off. How about sure, that? sure, sure. We'll start with Atlanta, who has the 24th hardest strength of schedule left in the NBA. It's not that impressive. They have 18 games left. Um, and they have a net rating of a 2.1, which is ninth in the NBA. Jimmy, what do you think about the Hawks as a player in the Eastern Conference and as a competitor for the Boston Celtics? So the Hawks continue to surprise me. I just Maybe it's just me. I haven't been a huge believer in them. Um, I certainly wasn't to start the year. Then they went and traded Rondo, which I thought would have been like their sort of playoff sort of guru leader. And then, I, you know, but they, in, on the same respect, they traded him, um, you know, for position of need, I guess. Lou Williams, uh, I don't know. I mean, but I still think Rondo gives you a little bit more of that, you know, leadership for, for Trey Young. But listen, I mean, the Hawks, they've got between Young and Collins leading the way there. And they've gotten some, you know, obviously Gallo, um, you know, we saw what he did at the Celtics earlier this year. They've got that, they've got that talent. They don't have the experience. Um, I don't know if they have really strong leadership. Um, They're not really a team that if this, that I would be 
that concerned about. Um, if I'm the Celtics, um, there are put it this way: there are other teams that I'm probably be more concerned about. Um, but at this point, I, I I do at least believe in the Hawks to be a playoff team, which is something that I didn't believe in, you know, even like mm-hmm. almost a month ago. Yeah, for folks at home, uh, as of this recording, the Hawks are 29 and 25, of respectable four games over 500. Uh, yeah. And just one game ahead of the Celtics in the standings, but uh, and one game, importantly, in the loss column, because that's going to be key. Dr. Quinn, you are our resident Hawks expert for today. What are you thinking when you see the Atlanta Hawks sitting pretty in the four seed? I'm a little nervous about them, uh, depending on how healthy they are and how healthy Boston is uh, when the postseason does end up rolling around. There's some questions about how healthy they're going to be through the stretch run. They may take a bit of a nosedive. Um, I think that that right now they have only uh, Dunn, who's looking like he's out for the season. Uh, Cam Reddish is looking like at least another two weeks. Collins turned his ankle. So they're, they're kind of banged up, you know, Gallo and Trey and Tony Snell. They're, they're all looking like they're going to be out for a while as well. Um, so they may take a bit of a fall, but they also don't look like anyone really important to who's been helping them win recently. I mean, they won seven of the last 10 games mm-hmm. and they beat the crap out of us. Uh, they, they, that was like the worst game of the season for the Celtics when the last time we played them. So I don't know, like, I, I think we should be able to handle them pretty well, but they do make me a bit nervous. Alex. Yeah. A couple of things just to kind of keep the, Step, keep things up to date. So uh, in looking at some tweets from Mike Conti, who is a Hawks broadcaster on the radio station 92.9, mm-hmm. the game, um, it looks like John Collins is starting to progress towards on-court work, should be back relatively soon. Uh, Hunter is starting to kind of get back in the swing of things as well. Uh, he just started kind of working on his legs for the first time yesterday and doing some running. Uh, Tony Snell's ankle is no longer swelling, and Cam Reddish is probably the farthest away from a full return. Uh, he had an injection in his Achilles. But uh, outside of that, so the Hawks the Hawks do have a lot of injuries, but they are also, at least for some of these guys, getting healthy. Uh, Gallinari and Young are, it sounds like, going to be back in the lineup sooner rather than later. And um, one thing that happened at the trade deadline, and Jimmy kind of alluded to this, was they flipped Rajon Rondo for Lou Williams, who has actually uh, kind of revived this season a little bit uh, after struggling this year for the Clippers. He's really kind of found his legs as uh, a ball-dominant, instant offense guy in classic Lou Williams fashion for the Hawks. Shout out to the Lemon Pepper Wings at Magic City. I guess they really got him going. But um, Lou is playing better for the Hawks. And I think despite the concerns of Trey and Lou being an incredibly diminutive backcourt that's high on scoring and low on defense, they actually have made some sense bringing Lou off the bench and basically just having him run the Trey Young sets. So they've they've kind of simplified their offense a little bit and made things a little bit more just kind of standard. And I think a part of that also has to do with the fact that the biggest thing that's happened to the Hawks this year is that they fired Lloyd Pierce and they hired uh, interim coach Nate McMillan full time. And Nate McMillan, say what you will about his time in Indiana. I know that Corey at OTG has had his frustrations <laughs> with Nate's uh, offensive approach. But Nate has gotten buy-in from these guys. They really respect his leadership. 
Uh, and in particular, that's manifested on the defensive end where the Hawks have pretty substantially improved since Nate took over. Their offense is not going to be this kind of like humming machine that, you know, the Golden State Warriors or the San Antonio Spurs might be running. But um, they have so many just high quality, high volume shooters in guys like Herter, Bogdanovich, Williams, Gallinari, Trey Young, obviously one of the best shooters in the league. They have so many guys that know how to do uh, what makes them succeed on the offensive end that in some ways Nate McMillan's biggest deficiencies as a head coach, which is that he lacks kind of offensive game planning brilliance, uh, have been somewhat mitigated by the fact that the Hawks have you know, six or seven different guys that can create their own shot and that you have to guard uh, from the perimeter. And it allows McMillan to really focus in on what he's best at, which is crafting really strong defensive schemes. So I think the coaching change has really helped the Hawks a lot. As far as how they would be for a Celtics playoff opponent, I do think that there are some matchups that the Celtics could exploit in that series. In particular, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's size on the wings is not something that I think the Hawks are super well prepared for. And I think that um, with some of our roster changes after the trade deadline, I'm hoping that the Celtics are perhaps a little bit more equipped, especially with the return of Langford, to deal with some of the Hawks' most uh, dangerous perimeter threats. So I would say, if I'm being totally honest, the Hawks are probably one of the teams that I would most like to play in the first round as a Celtics fan. That being said, Justin, to your point, um, Trey Young absolutely cooked us in our last matchup, and I am very concerned about the idea of Kemba Walker guarding him over the course of a full seven-game series. I think that the Celtics can win that matchup, but I think it's going to be one of those classic Celtics playoff series where uh, the series goes about two and a half games too long. So, yeah. I'm worried about Kemba guarding literally anyone in the playoffs. Um, also, Alex made it abundantly clear that he was assigned to talk about the Hawks, and then I met I read our notes wrong. So good job out of you, Alex. Um, the Celtics, just for clarity, are uh, one and two against the Hawks this season. And now let's turn our attention to the Miami Heat. Uh, the Celtics have once beat the Heat, and then they have two games, May 9th and May 11th, both in Boston against Miami. Uh, they Miami is currently sitting in the fifth uh, seed in the East, eight and a half games back. Jimmy, uh, this Heat team really brought it to the Celtics uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. What are you thinking when you see the Heat possibly as a first-round matchup? I say that's very tough luck if that's the case. Um, I think we can all agree that, like the Celtics, the Heat have sort of stumbled uh, to start the season. They had a bunch of health issues to start their season, and they've been, since then, clawing their way back, and now look at them, you know, half game ahead of the Celtics, um, sort of coming into their own. We know that they're a battle-tested team. They've got some proven veterans on that team led by Jimmy Butler who is kind of like the identity you know the team kind of falls in line behind him they're tough as nails they fight they claw they play for each other I just remember them last year just out playing the Celtics out I hate to say out wanting it because I I don't know if I believe that the players want it more than other players but it did kind of feel that way and the Celtics were just at each other's throats by the end of that series 
And that was credit to Butler and, and company. You know, um, we didn't even mention, I didn't even mention Bam yet, who just had his way with anyone in the paint um, last, last yeah, to um, say the least. playoffs. Yeah. And now you've got Rob Williams, who's kind of stepped, obviously stepped up his game since then. So I am interested to see that matchup um, in May when those two teams play their, their two games again. But if you're playing the Heat in the first round, man, that is a crappy four or five tough luck situation for you. Um, Cause they're a team that I think did play above their skill level. I, mean, I don't think they were the Eastern conference best team in Eastern conference last year, but they just played together as a team, which tells me that when, you know, the going gets tough and when the playoffs start, they can band together and sort of stick it out and just out work you. Sometimes it's the team that just works harder that gets that W in the end. And I can totally see that being the case. And in it's in another series with the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, the proof's in the pudding on that one. And I, I guess it's worth pointing out that the way the chips fall, the Celtics might not even get a first-round series with the Heat. They could end up playing them in the play-in, which would, you know, turn the temperature up. So, Dr. That'd Quinn, wild. what do you see when you see the Heat as not just a potential first-round matchup, but in a play-in situation? I, I tend to agree they are a very scary team. Uh, we saw what they can do. Um, Eric Spolstra will run circles around Brad. Yep. Everything that happen. Um, as much as I love Brad. And Jimmy knows how to play in the postseason. However, the one good thing, I don't know if it's really a good thing, but I mean, they're not as deep as they once were. They, they may be without Oladipo. We don't know what's going on with his knee. Hopefully his knee turns out to be okay. It's still, as far as I am I'm aware, that, uh, under investigation. They are sizing up what's going on with that. He's got plenty of time to get back to health and may see them you know, dropping the standings again because of injury. But you know, they don't have uh, an Avery Bradley. They don't have a Kelly Olenek. And, you know, I mean, they're not world beaters, but they are definitely quality, valuable, you know, bench players. They did pick up Nemanja Bialica. Um, Trevor Ariza is not playing that great. Uh, I guess, you know, maybe he's still working his way back into health. He didn't play basketball for like a year. So, I mean, it's really hard to say what kind of a team they're going to be by the time the playoffs actually do roll around. It could be pretty scary, or they could be pretty thin. So, I don't know. Don't forget Hero. Hero came at the Celtics last playoffs, too. I mean, I I know he's not playing up to that level, but he's the guy that we've seen get hot and get hot quickly. Yeah, the same basic tools that really kicked our ass last time are still on the team, so. Right. I mean, zone defense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that too. Oh, God. And we still can't figure out how to, how to, you know, the team goes zone around and their heads pop off. I mean, I've, I walk on the Celtics side of the street, but I would love to see Miami zone against Brooklyn. I think that would be so fascinating. I will say sure. one thing, one thing to, to say about Miami is that even though they have definitely been struggling uh, more so than perhaps they anticipated this season, uh, the one thing that has held constant is that since he has been back in the lineup after missing a number of games earlier in the year to injury, Jimmy Butler has been on an absolute tear. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. probably the reason that you're most afraid of Miami heading into a first-round playoff series if you're any team. I mean, I, I don't think Philly wants to see Miami in round one at all. Um, Jimmy Butler. That'd be fun, yeah. That would be a great matchup, but Jimmy Butler, I mean, this guy just keeps on finding ways to win, whether it's scoring, defense, rebounds, assists. He just, he always finds a way to impact the game. And as long as that dude is out there 
with Adebayo and with Eric Spolstra, they are always going to be a tough opponent, regardless of whether their roster has the juice uh, that it did last year or not. So I would, I would not like to do another (laughs) round with Miami in the first round for sure. No, the grand plan is that they take out the, the Nets and the Celtics play the, the Hawks or something. Slide in, yeah. I mean, it's also worth noting that Miami uh, had its fair share of issues with the injury bug. So the right. fact that they are sitting fifth in this Eastern Conference middle class might be kind of an aberration. Uh, just to close the loop, they have the 19th hardest strength of schedule, 19 games to play, and right now have the 18th net rating at just under uh, a zero zero point negative point six, but with so many injuries, it's kind of a an incomplete for Miami. If anything, yeah, I'll say this: Miami out of the out of everybody in the middle class, quote unquote, they're they're the team that scares me the most. I think they're the mm-hmm. team that most likely will end up with that fourth uh, in that fourth seed. I don't even know. I, I probably uh, am inclined to agree, but they're also the team that they could end up tenth, and I would be least concerned for because. They have that gravel in their gut, and mm-hmm. the coaching is just tremendous. Uh, so next in this current standings, which will the deck will shuffle 20 times between now and the middle <laughs> yeah. of May, the Charlotte, the Never Say Die Charlotte Hornets, they're 27 and 25. Uh, they are t- technically ahead of the Celtics in the standings. I think they uh, have a game up in the lost column. They have the 21st hardest strength of schedule remaining. They have 20 games left. They also are a tad negative when it comes to net rating. They're 19th, so just a little worse on that front, but who's counting uh, compared to Miami? Jimmy, is the team that really just got hamstringed by injuries, but seems like there's still still some fight. What do you think about the Charlotte Hornets? So this was like my like most fun team to watch the season yep. prior to all the injuries. I think you guys would probably agree. I mean, just watching LaMelo hand up. I was very wrong about LaMelo ball. I thought <laughs> that he was just full of himself, you know, typical because you only watch the highlights of him throwing up like half court shots somewhere in yeah. Europe. And you're like, this guy just doesn't get it. He takes the takes the league by storm. And I was wrong about him. He's certainly a, you know, an extremely talented, what, 19, 18 year old kid. So, I mean, the future is extremely bright for him and Charlotte. They were a ton of fun to watch. It really sucks to see all the injuries that piled up for them. I mean, the Hayward injury, I hate to say, um, I wasn't stunned to, to see that he, you know, something stupid like that happened because, unfortunately, Celtics fans had to deal with those unlucky sort of breaks. Um, yeah. and, and it really sucked for Charlotte because they had something really good going. But to see Ball down, to see Hayward down, Malik Monk, uh, I think you see PJ Washington. I mean, I think uh, uh, Terry, even Rozier recently has, has got some knee pain, I think. So if this team's healthy, man, they're they damn fun, damn fun team to watch and a hard team. But I, I don't think they've got a whole lot left to tank this, this season. It's going to be tough for them to, you know, even if they get guys back towards the end, I think, you know, we've seen, we've seen it with Hayward, you know, he comes back, but it takes him a little bit to sort of get that, you know, yeah. comfortability back out there. So I think they're probably uh, on the outside looking in or, or definitely um, a team that uh, I wouldn't be too, too worried about just because of the injuries. But, man, they were, they were so much fun. And Rozier, another one, um, one of the best fourth quarter players mm-hmm. all season. You know, him and I think Lillard are like the two best like fourth quarter numbers, which is crazy to, crazy to say. 
Um, and I don't think that ever would have happened here in Boston. I truly think that Rozier was one of the guys that probably ruffled, you know, a ton of feathers inside that locker mm-hmm. room and, and wasn't happy with his role and didn't think that, you know, he was being utilized enough. And credit to him, you know, he went to Charlotte and proved that he can do a hell of a lot more than probably what he would have been allowed to do in Boston behind, you know, Brown and Tatum and, you know, Kyrie or Kemba. Right. Yeah. I mean, shout out to this, this podcast is a big fan of the Terry Rozier experience. Absolutely. Uh, and the whole team, I mean, uh, Bridges is, is so fun. Devontae Graham is so fun. Uh, so it, it truly is just as an NBA fan, a total bummer that they have been bitten totally. hard by the injury bug. Uh, in their last 15 games, they're 21st in offense, but they're still 13th in defense despite the injury. So my take on the Hornets is, I, Jimmy, I think you're exactly right that they don't have the chops to go the distance. I mean, we saw against the Celtics uh, the other day or last week, whatever it was, they just didn't have enough cards to play. Uh, they can right. hang tough for certain stretches. They can out of the gate kind of punch you in the mouth a little bit, but the, the depth just isn't there. The the balance on offense just doesn't exist with without Hayward or Lamelo, and and certainly they're banged up in other ways too. So uh, it's it's so fun to watch. The Hornets are uh, just tremendous highlight reel uh, producers every night, and mm-hmm. again the Celtics waxed them 116 to 86 the other day. So I don't think that Celtics uh, fans need to be too worried here, but. They, I think they'll hang tight in the standings. Even with the injuries, they take care of business pretty well. They only have a few big wins against uh, really tough teams. They beat the Bucks early in the season, but then otherwise they're really streaky because uh, they're able to kind of clean up against average or below average teams, but they don't seem to pull it out against the cream of the crop. So I suspect even with a few tough games on the schedule, it's possible that the Hornets will continue to to make a little bit of noise in this crowded Eastern Conference. So should the Celtics land them in a series or in the play-in, I would, I'm not a betting person, but I would favor, the, uh, favor Boston in that one. But I would also not be surprised if the Hornets are able to hold on to the fifth or sixth seed just by virtue of the little bit of razzle-dazzle that they have and taking care of business against kind of the less competitive teams, we'll say. Uh, Dr. Quinn, Alex, any, oh yeah, Justin, Jimmy, go. No, you you guys finish. Uh, Anything on the Hornets, Dr. Quinn? I mean, as you noted earlier, they have the 21st hardest uh, schedule. It's not a particularly hard schedule to close out the season. If they can just kind of hang on and win the games that they should, they'll, they'll be in the mix. Yeah, I have had so much fun watching the Hornets when they're healthy this year. They've been just a blast. I mean, LaMelo is such a flashy and cool player. I was I was one of the people that was actually fairly high on LaMelo and thought that he was kind of just loafing around in Europe prior to uh, joining the NBA, which he just kind of thought would be a sure thing. Uh, and he was right. When um, you say Europe, do you mean Australia? Australia, right. My apologies. We did go to what was it? Latin? He's like Lithuania. That was yeah, nice. Lithuania for a little bit. But um, Australia I, of the north. I was pretty big on Lamelo heading into the draft, and uh, he hasn't disappointed. If anything, he's exceeded my expectations. Uh, Hayward has looked quite strong when he has played for them. Uh, he seems like he's a little more involved there in 
just the general structure of the offense than he was in Boston, and they're maximizing his talents a little more. Uh, obviously, Terry Rozier is, I guess, just the best clutch player in the league, which is cool. Um, but, you know, it's the unsung heroes of the Hornets roster that really have stood out to me. Your Miles Bridges, your P.J. Washingtons, your Cody Zellers. Uh, that team is really deep. They just have, you know, one through nine, a bunch of solid mm-hmm. NBA players. And I think that if they are able to get healthy, if LaMelo and Hayward can come back and kind of get their rhythm going, I actually think the Hornets are going to be a little bit tougher than people are anticipating in the postseason. I still think that I would take the Celtics because I'm an unapologetic homer in uh, a head-to-head series, but I think that that would be a harder series than I think some people are considering. Uh, The Hornets have a lot of really good NBA players on that team. It's all to me, yeah. It's all to me based on their health and where they'll be when the playoffs roll around if they, you know, have a say in making the playoffs. Because if, if not, if, you know, they just shut ball down and say, you know what, it's not worth it to bring him back. Or if Hayward is, you know, has a setback or isn't just himself, that's the team, in my opinion, that, you know, one through three, they want to play that. They'd love to play the, a, a, a shorthanded Hornets team. But that isn't a knock on them. I mean, they were so much – I mean, it was impossible to – not be jealous of the Charlotte Hornets this year as a yeah. Celtics fan. I, you just couldn't. You just as couldn't. an NBA fan, they were the most fun team in the league. They're the most fun team, but you know what? It's even more painful for Celtics fans because they took Rozier, they took Hayward, and Hayward was mm-hmm. thriving over there. And, you know, they were winning games and you know, buzzer beaters and all this stuff. And Hayward was saying, like, oh, they're using me differently. You know, it was almost like and, – and on, and on the Boston side, it was like loss, loss, you know – you know, it was just, it was tough to ignore. So um, it's unfortunate that this is how it sort of ended up for um, Charlotte. If they can come back and be healthy and be a tough out, great. Um, but I, I'd be surprised if Charlotte tries to go all in. I think that they're, they know for sure that they have, you know, a really talented young roster over there. I don't think they want to, you know, do anything to sort of put that in jeopardy for future seasons anyways. Yeah, I it's unfortunate. I bet they play the long game here, but I guess it remains to be seen. It's worth pointing out that the Hawks, the Heat and the Hornets all have better road records than the Celtics. The Celtics are at present 11 and 16 on the road. Um, They do face the Hornets twice uh, coming up in short order uh, on April the 25th and April the 28th. So who knows who's playing for the Hornets that night, but that could be some important data. Uh, while we're talking about April the 25th, that's the night of the Oscars. Uh, anyone who wants to cry so hard they can't breathe for 45 minutes, the movie The Father is just out of control good. Uh, I can't recommend that movie enough. It's not going really? to win Best Picture, but it ought to. So It's a 45-minute movie? No, the movie's like two hours, but I couldn't breathe oh. for like the last 45 minutes oh. because oh, okay, okay. it's just... Wow. Also for five minutes on my ride to work the next day because it is just a gut punch. of. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Uh, I told my mom this. I don't want her to ever watch this movie. It's about a, an older parent who has Alzheimer's and uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins just brings it. It's just out of control. Uh, so on that happy note. Know. Yeah. Uh, the Celtics, by the way, not only do they play Charlotte twice uh, down the stretch, they'll also get two cracks at Miami and that kind of back-to-back uh, series in April, and they're going to close out the season against the Knicks, who we'll talk about in just a second. So, 
short of nothing, the Celtics a little bit control their destiny here because they're going to play their peers in the middle class just a little bit, um, a number of times anyways. The Celtics at present are seventh, just below the Hornets, one game back in the loss column, and technically a half game up on the New York Knickerbockers, who are 28 and 27, just a shade above 500. Uh, They too don't play particularly well on the road, but they take care of business at home. Jimmy, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the New York Knicks are firmly in the playoff picture and it's April. So what do you think about the, these, these crazy, crazy Knicks? I'll say this, and I've been saying this for years. The NBA is so much better when the Knicks are good because it's just yep. the team yep. that you want to see you know, it's Friday night, you know, Friday night, you know, with the lights and, you know, whatever you, you know, it's, it's the big stage. I know for a fact that pretty much every NBA player across the board will say that Madison Square Garden is the best place to play basketball. Hell, I mean, most hockey players say Madison Square Garden is the best place to play hockey. It's just one of those places where, and when the Knicks are going, the media gets involved and there's just a lot of commotion and it's almost like the Yankees, you know, as much as I'm sure Red Sox fans and everybody hates the Yankees. It's fun when they're good. It's, it's just, it just is. And I'll say that about the Knicks. That said, I do not believe in this Knicks team that much. Uh, I don't think that they're at that point yet, clear, um, obviously. I like Barrett. I like what Randall's given them. Um, I don't think that they – and I, I like what Thibodeau's doing over there. I mean, he's giving them some attitude. They're, they're believing in him. They're buying into what, what he's doing. Um, and it's been a great season for them from where they, where they came from. Um, but this, this, the Knicks reek of, of um, play-in game that they're going to lose. That's kind of <laughs> what I think the Knicks are destined for this season. That's just, that would be like, kind of like peak Knicks. I mean, that's what, that's what the Knicks are here for. Right. But my God, wouldn't the NBA just love to have Brooklyn versus the Knicks for a round one matchup? I can already hear Adam Silver just gushing about it. I mean, I that would be that great. Too. That's the old Subway series, right? Yeah, you don't need to go conspiracy theory here. I want to see that as well. Uh, well the other good thing, the reason, another reason for that is because literally nobody cares about the Nets outside of like Brooklyn. So like that would actually do wonders for that game. That you know maybe uh, I mean obviously they've got the star power over there, but there was just a shot at the Nets because I hate I hate the Nets pretty much. Nick Fan and Jack Manuel, hope you're listening. <laughs> Not a chance. Uh, easier said than done for making that series a reality. So. Uh, the other teams on our list don't have particularly hard schedules remaining. The Celtics have the 14th hardest strength of schedule uh, left on the books, which is, you know, average. The Knicks supposedly have the sixth hardest strength of schedule, although perhaps they'll run up against teams that are resting players uh, down the stretch. Maybe that'll aid them. Uh, They have 17 games left. They do have a positive net rating, the 13th best net rating in the league. In fact, Uh, they're five and five in their last 10. They're, kind of spinning their tires a little bit. And in the last 15 games, they're 22nd in offense, but they're still the second best defense in that time. Mm -hmm. And that's where uh, we saw this against the Knicks the other day for uh, big parts of that game against the Celtics. Tibbs just has this team playing the right way. It's a weird island of misfit toys with Alfred Payton and Derrick Rose and Nerlens Noel is starting or at least the top of the depth chart right now. And the centerpiece to all of this is, Julius Randle, who I like Julius Randle. I've always been a supporter of Julius Randle, but I have never bought Julius Randle stock. 
uh, right. touched Julius Randle's stock with a 10-foot pole. And yet... He's just and there. This, he, well, he's not just there. Uh, he is shooting 40% from three on five attempts a night, which is pretty spectacular. He's averaging 23 points, nine and a half rebounds, and six assists. In a league where LeBron is the, the holotype for winning basketball player mm-hmm. and point Zion is revolutionizing the game. Julius Randle is playing inspired basketball. So are the Knicks going to make any noise in the postseason? Probably not. It'll be a tough out because they play good defense. And is this a flash in the pan? And is like Julius Randle maybe just having one of those seasons? Probably. But I don't know that I would want to catch the Knicks in the back alley that is a seven-game series, I think it could be tough. I think one thing also is that the Knicks, so to put this in context, the Knicks making the playoffs would be a huge thing for Knicks fans. Uh, That is not in doubt, and I know that they would love that. But arguably more important is just showing that the Knicks have the capability to be a good team if they acquire good players, if they... Uh, can instill a culture and a defensive identity under Tibbs. I think the biggest thing for the Knicks is not even what they do this year so much as what this does for them next year. If the Knicks can get some wins stacked up here, can kind of, uh, you know, make the playoffs and maybe even peel a game off of a high seed on the wrong night, that sends a message to other teams uh, in our and to other players in free agency in particular, where the Knicks are going to have some cap space to throw around, one of the few teams that will, uh, that the Knicks are actually here to win some basketball games, which I think could be a really big thing for them. Yeah, this Leon Rose front office, this new regime. I mean, James Dolan's still out there playing guitar, or whatever it is he does, but I no, think Leon Rose... Yeah, that's what he does best, in fact. Yeah, I think this Leon Rose team is uh, that they have in the front office there is not messing around. And correct me if I'm wrong, they never hit the salary floor, so they just cut a check to the players. We'll have to fact check that one, but uh, that's probably pretty good for uh, positive will throughout the NBA uh, employee base. So I think, Alex, you're right. It's not necessarily about this season. But if I was, you know, a middling or slightly above middling star, why wouldn't you want to go play? Jimmy, you're exactly right. I mean... No matter what, it is, it's just the center of the NBA universe. It's for, the Mecca. Know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it would, honestly, it would be more, it would be better than LA. If you get, like, really good Knicks basketball going for a while, I mean, the city would, the city loves basketball. I mean, they really, really do. And they would embrace a Knicks team that was a competently run, um, you know, team. And it's unfortunate that James Dolan has done everything in his power <laughs> to prevent that from happening. And it's like scared away players. Superstar players should want to play in New York City. I'm actually stunned that LeBron didn't end up there at some point in his career. I thought that maybe a, a Durant would or, you know, it, they end up going the easy way to Brooklyn where it's like no pressure and nobody really mm-hmm. cares. And they just show up, play basketball and leave. And that's fine. But like, I want a superstar athlete to want to play in New York City. So whoever that is, step right up because the Knicks, are showing you right now that that's really all they need right now to, to be, you know, up there with the upper echelon teams. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us here ultimately don't want the Knicks to, you know, to win the title because they want the Celtics right. to do that. No, but I don't want that. <laughs> if, if Leon Rose. I want and, battles. I want, I want, yeah. I want 
the guard. I want the Celtics to roll into the Madison Square Garden for a battle. You know, it's been a while since we've really had that. I love this is so unimportant off topic. I love how the PA announcer at the Garden used to say Carmelo Anthony. I bring <laughs> that back. Stop playing music during the game and get creative with your broadcasts. Uh, anyways, so. Uh, just below the Knicks are the Pacers, who are 25 and 27. Below them, by a, a bigger margin, are the Bulls, 22 and 31. So maybe we ought to uh, pay our respects to the Pacers here because they're, they're only uh, two games back from the Celtics. They certainly are a dangerous team, especially if they can get healthy by uh, mid-May. And the Bulls are feisty. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to kind of get beyond this rung of mediocrity, but it's a feisty rung. So maybe we'll close out here. Just some quick thoughts on the Pacers, quick thoughts on the Bulls. Jimmy, pick your poison. I am actually a huge Pacers believer and Pacers guy. All right. And I loved the Pacers going into this season. I actually thought they had a better roster than the Celtics. Now a lot has changed since then. Pacers have had some injuries. They've made some trades and whatnot. I still like the Pacers. Um, I don't necessarily like them to the same level I think I did prior to the season because for whatever reason they've taken a step back. Now, TJ Warren going down right at the beginning of the year was, you know, awful for them. Huge, you know, huge setback. Um, but if Malcolm Brogdon is one of my favorite players, um, I just think that he's like the total package at his position. I know he's a little bit older, um, you know, because he went to college four years and, and all that. But if he was on the Celtics in place of Kemba, I mean, he gives you exactly what you need. Um, he's exactly that type of a guard that you need if you're the Celtics to, to focus on like Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum doing their thing. It's not going to happen, but in a perfect world, it would. So bonus, um, you know, young all-star big who is already to me like a polished, he plays like a polished veteran. You can tell he has NBA blood in him, um, just the way he plays out there. And he's a guy that they can certainly build around. And, um, I just like the pages. I think that they would be such a tough like playing game, if they end up in the playing game, like that's just a tough matchup. I don't care who they're playing on any night. That's not a matchup that I would be excited about. And I didn't even mention Lavert. You know, the, their big ex- acquisition. Who, right when they get him, obviously he, you know, um, he couldn't play right away. He had to go through those uh, medical procedure. Um, thank God they found it. Um, yeah, I forget exactly what the issue was, but it's some sort of something that was cancerous, I believe. Cancer of the kidney, yeah. Of the kidney, thank you. And um, to me, I thought that was, um, you know, when the season started, the Nets with Lavert, I thought was huge for them. I mean, that's a that's a guy who's a starter uh, on like every other team, and a guy that um, I think that has all the talent in the world to to be a real player. So the Pacers to me are legit. I don't really the Bulls that whole lot. Uh, I, I know I spent all my time on the Pacers, so I'll let somebody else uh, hit on the Bulls <laughs> or the Pacers, whoever you think. Dr. Quinn, the, the Pacers have the 20th hardest strength of schedule remaining. Uh, they have an, a very, very average net rating of minus 0.2. What's the good word on all things Indiana? Well, if you've been following this season, there's a lot of middle-class uh, denizens in the East Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Toronto is also going through something similar. Uh, yep. They're having the Celtics season, but later. Yep. You know, both of those mm-hmm. teams. I think uh, Toronto is going to be too far behind to ever catch up. I think that if they make it into the playoff, playing game range, they're going to be pretty lucky. 
But I do agree that the Pacers are a much better team than they look like. I mean, there was this moment like, Nate Yorkert has lost his team and they stopped responding to him. Fire everybody. And just, it was a yeah. terrible season of the Celtics, basically. And, I mean, the only real injury that they have that is lingering is T.J. Warren is going to be out for the season with that stress fracture. Um, you know, Levert is going to have to get integrated more. Uh, you know, you have to think about the fact that, you know, um, Lamb had, like, broken everything and is kind of just kind of getting back into shape as well. But, like you said, they have a very late schedule, and they've won, I think, three in a row and six of the last ten. So I think they're a team to watch. I think that they could move up in the standings, uh, particularly with that late schedule. So uh, a little bit ahead of the Bulls and the standings, the Pacers sit. And Chicago is 14 and a half games back and just flirting with falling out of this play-in game. But, uh, Jimmy, what do you think of Chicago? I know that you maybe aren't as big of a believer. They are not nearly right. as sexy of a team right now as maybe the Pacers. Right. They're definitely not as sexy. Um, you don't, you don't usually call a Pacers team sexy, but I think they got a little bit of a sexy. I love strong. fundamental basketball, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Bulls are, Bulls are a team that, I mean, I think they're hit or miss. I'm actually, I'd be more scared of the Raptors than the Bulls, to be quite honest. I know that they're currently doesn't show that in the standings, but, the Raptors are a team that, you know, we know the struggles that they've had this season, but they didn't trade Lowry. Um, they have Siakam. You know, they have, you know, Boucher's playing well for them. Um, and I, I would be more scared of, of a one-game, you know, Raptors matchup or a Raptors making a late surge into the playoffs and it with the Bulls. Um, you know, Levine's obviously an extremely talented player in, in Chicago, and um, they do have some young talent over there, but I'm just not 100% sold on Chicago doing much. Yeah, Alex, Chicago, just to close the loop, ninth hardest strength of schedule, uh, negative net rating, 21st net rating in the league, and they have lost three of their last seven. How confident are you that the Bulls even make the play-in tournament at this point, and what kind of noise can they make? I'm, I'm fairly confident that the Bulls are going to make the play-in tournament, and that has less to do with the Bulls and more to do with the Raptors, who I think are sure. pretty clearly punting on the rest of this season. I don't, I don't think the Raptors even care all that much about winning games. Um, I think that the Bulls are going to try and make a run at this play-in tournament, and I do think that it has to be said that Zach Levine is still a very high-level scorer and is capable of dropping 50 on your head any given night. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that the Bulls have been struggling with is that while their new players that they acquired at the trade deadline have been playing reasonably well, integrating them to the roster has been not the cleanest fit. And in particular, some of the players whose roles are being reduced as a result of the new acquisitions of guys like Vucevic, of guys like Daniel Tice, um, have been struggling. In particular, Patrick Williams seems like he's kind of hitting the rookie wall a little bit. Um, so I think, and, and Kobe White has been, a, by all accounts, a source of immense frustration for Bulls fans in that he'll have games where he looks like, oh, this is our point guard of the future. This guy's ready to go. And then he'll have games where he's getting burned left and right on defense and not putting up efficient shots and taking the ball out of Zach Levine's hands. So the Bulls have got some gelling to do for sure. They still have to figure out kind of what they're doing as far as their rotations, as far as who they want the ball to be in the hands of late. Um, defensively, Vucevic and Zach Levine are 
certainly excellent offensive players, but on, on the defensive end of the floor, it's going to be tough for them in a high-intensity playoff series. I think that the Bulls are going to make the play-in tournament. I don't have a ton of confidence that they will be going much further than that at this time. Well, if the folks at Old Takes Exposed are listening, the Bulls are 14 and a half games back, the Raptors are 16 games back, and the Wizards are 16 and a half games back. Uh, meaning that the Raptors and Wizards probably deserved a little bit of daylight, but we're not going to talk about them. So screw them. Screw them. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Toscano writes for CLNS Media. He does all sorts of stuff there, in fact. And you can find him on Twitter. You can find him in the greater Boston area. You can find him on just about anywhere you can find good looking people who talk about the Celtics. That's where we find him. I like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, if, if you don't know about it, you don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Quinn, you can find him over at Celtics Wire. You can find Alex and myself at OTG Basketball. And Alex has a band. It's called Divine Sweaters that make funky tunes. You heard them at the top. You probably are well-versed in all things Divine Sweaters. So thanks for the listen. Go ahead, like us. Go ahead, subscribe if you haven't already. If you made it this far, we sell T-shirts. You might as well buy one of those too. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>